Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. Voting in the 2022 election is just around the corner, so this week we're talking California ballot measures. Proposition 31 would ban the sale of flavored tobacco in California, including flavored vaping products and menthol cigarettes. People would still be able to have these items, but they couldn't buy them in the state. Yes on 31 is supported by the American Heart Association, the American Lung Association, the American Cancer Society, and others. It's opposed by various tax associations and chambers of commerce. Supporters say that flavored tobacco targets children and people of color, primarily black Americans. The no side says prohibition doesn't work. It could encourage black market products and that we should trust adults to make their own decisions. In this episode, you're going to hear from the Yes on 31 campaign. The No on 31 campaign declined to meet with the San Diego Union-Tribune editorial board. Thanks for listening. Perfect. Well, thank you, Matt, very much. Thank you for the opportunity to be here with all of you today. This is a very important issue to all of us, and I think to the state of California. Uh, And then I wanted to thank you also for this opportunity, but probably more importantly for your your editorial opinion on uh, Proposition 56 a couple of years ago on the tobacco tax that was passed. Uh, Thank you for that. And in that uh, editorial, you spoke of uh, the the support of it, but a lot of the argument was related to that it would deter youth smoking. And uh, and that really is the motivation behind me as the author of SB 793 in 2019, when I saw and witnessed the tremendous increase in one year for high school and middle age, uh, middle school students. Uh, in high school, it was a 78% increase of e-cigarette use of tobacco products in one year. And in middle school, it was a 48% increase in one year. And that that was just, uh, uh, well, I could just see the epidemic of a new generation coming for nicotine addiction and then the disease and the death that would follow. So that really was the motivating factor. The bill passed, as you know, by uh, uh, with broad support, broad bipartisan support, only one no vote out of the legislature. The governor signed it. And and then what we saw is kind of the uh, uh, what I would look at is an affront to the legislative process. We saw the, the t- tobacco industry. They weren't going to give up uh, and they still wanted to addict those kids. So they uh, did an end run around the legislature and, and brought us this uh, referendum that we see today. So uh, I, we're just looking for. Uh, and we think that uh, uh, Proposition 31 is the, the answer, and we hope that uh, we can get the support, and certainly the support today as well. So thank you for that, uh, allowing me that. And I think uh, Carol Magruder would like to uh, kick it off next, if that's possible. Hi, hi. Good morning. Are you hearing me okay? Yes. Okay. So good morning. I'm Carol Magruder, and I'm one of the co-chairs of the African-American Tobacco Control Leadership Council. Uh, we were formed in 2008. Um, And we are fighting nationally, actually, to save the 45,000 Black lives that are lost every year to tobacco-induced diseases. And one of the main vectors of that is the tobacco industry and the pernicious and racial uh, targeting of of the African-American community by the tobacco industry. Um, It's well known that the industry has used um, so many different tactics um, to seed our community with death and destruction, including giving children as young as nine years old, um, free Newport mentholated tobacco products. And so we are in full support of uh, Proposition 31. And when Senate Bill 793, when we were 
uh, fighting for that. Uh, there was um, the tobacco industry pushed back and hired actually some African-American leaders to espouse their rhetoric that taking these deadly products off the market would in fact criminalize the black community. And so we pushed back firmly against that. And um, it's because of the racist and pernicious targeting that menthol is the preferred choice of African-Americans. Um, when the FDA was given the authority to take uh, flavors off the market, uh, they left menthol in, it was a negotiation. And so we've been fighting since that time to get menthol off the market. And in fact, have sued the FDA and the FDA is um, in the process of making a rule to take menthol, menthol off the market along with little cigars and cigarillos. But we know that, uh, that the, the process is fraught with lots of tobacco industry interference. And so we are encouraging cities, counties, and states to enact the legislation on their own. And so we're for, uh, firmly in support of Prop 31. And I'm gonna pass on to, I believe, Lindsay Friedis, who's one of my colleagues. Uh, for decades in this fight. <laughs> Hi everyone, I am Lindsay Freitas and yes, I've had the extreme honor of working with Carol uh, side by side trying to get this deadly and pernicious product off of store shelves. I am the advocacy director with the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids um, and I, in that capacity, I work here in California and Hawaii. Uh, one thing I wanna make sure we're really clear about is that this, um, this ballot initiative in November, this is us, this is Californians versus Big Tobacco. As Big Tobacco is trying to get a new generation of our youth here in California hooked on deadly candy flavors like bubblegum, blue raspberry, chocolate, minty menthol, all of these flavors are used to hide the highly addictive nicotine that we know is a especially dangerous for kids. It harms their brain development, it impacts their attention, their mood, their impulse control. And we also know that study after study has shown that the reason why most youth, most, most youth start using e-cigarettes and why they get hooked on this deadly nicotine is because they're sold in candy flavors like that. In California, almost all high school e-cigarette users prefer flavored products. And today, over 2 million middle and high school students nationwide use e-cigarettes. And so that's why it's really important that we vote yes on Prop 31 this November. And I will kick it over to Dr. Ong. Hi, everyone. Uh, hopefully you can hear me. Uh, so I'm a professor of medicine and public health at UCLA. I'm also the uh, chair for the State of California Tobacco Education and Research Oversight Committee. And so I'm not talking any, uh, to all of you today in any of those official capacities, but um, I did want to um, sort of uh, you know, build off of what uh, Lindsay Friedis mentioned to you in terms of um, youth use um, for tobacco products. So we track uh, tobacco use in California. And for our youth, we tend to rely on the California um, School Tobacco Survey. And that use rate uh, in 2020 was still close to about 10%. Uh, and as Lindsay mentioned, um, we know that more than 90% 90, 90 of the use is uh, flavored tobacco products, and uh, the, specifically those fruit flavors and candy flavors um, that Lindsay mentioned. And so um, we really want to try to reduce um, the use overall for um, these individuals. And you know, they really shouldn't be getting these products, but they're still getting them. And so um, we really need to um, stop the uh, availability of these flavored tobacco products for our youth. And when we look at the health impacts um, for youth, you know, we all know that um, you know, in terms of nicotine itself, um, which is you know, in these type of products. So it's not necessarily traditional cigarettes, although traditional cigarettes are very harmful and particularly menthol cigarettes as Carol Magruder mentioned. But for um, these type of products, 
you know, nicotine has cardiovascular effects, but the Surgeon General has also come out uh, and reviewed the evidence that also um, demonstrates that these also affect adolescent brain development. So I think that particularly for the youth of California, we really want to try to uh, you know, pr uh, prevent them from getting use of these type of products. According to your opponents, uh, the use of uh, youth smoking is at an all-time low of 1.9%, less than 1 in 50 youths now smoke. So why would you go after uh, something that's an adult decision on the grounds of going after youths and protecting youths? Shouldn't adults be able to use legal products? So just to follow up on that, um, the numbers that you're citing are about traditional cigarettes for youth. But that's actually not the right number for youth use of tobacco products overall, which include electronic cigarettes. So that use rate is actually a lot higher. It's not 1.9%. It's around 9.7%. And that's the last data that we have from our surveys that we do in the state of California. Um, the other thing is that this doesn't restrict um, adult users from using tobacco products. This just prevents them from using flavored tobacco products. And particularly, this is the product that youth are using. And I don't think that we really, I think most people would agree that we don't want to see our children using tobacco products. And if this is the product that this is getting, we need to stop that. And if Medical I could... authorities in Britain have said that vaping is actually a good because it reduces the likelihood people use the more dangerous forms of cigarettes. What do you say to the health authorities in Great Britain? I'm going to let uh, Senator Hill first weigh in, and then I can have to answer. Well, I just wanted to answer one question. We talked about it, and I wanted to make it clear that this just prohibits the retail sale of these products in California, the flavored tobacco products. It doesn't prohibit anyone from having them, using them, smoking them, or doing anything with them, or acquiring them online. You can still purchase these products uh, online uh, as, uh, as they are today. What we do though is restrict the uh, uh, ability of youth to purchase those online because someone has to be over 21 to accept them, just as we've done successfully with alcohol uh, in California. And then I'll let Dr. Ong answer that other question. Um, so the number that's commonly cited about that United Kingdom uh, 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 piece uh, that was put out, that was an opinion uh, that was done of individuals pretty early on when we didn't know a lot about these type of products. And this is the reason why we're all looking forward to the Food and Drug Administration actually reviewing the products. Unfortunately, that's been tied up in litigation by the tobacco industry. They don't want people to review their products because they know that for the most part, these products won't be allowed on the market. Um, so I think that in terms of the relative safety of these type of products, I think that that's still something that still needs to be figured out. Obviously, we want all people to quit using tobacco products. And certainly, you know, there are a lot of things that are underutilized by people here in the United States. You know, in terms of what the UK is like, in terms of what we do for healthcare there versus what we do for US healthcare here, there's a lot of other things that we should be doing for people who are using tobacco products here in the United States that we would all love to get them more encouraged uh, in using to, you know, quit using tobacco products. But I think that if you weigh what, what happens with our adult uh, tobacco users and what happens with these uh, young kids who are gonna have decades of nicotine addiction, I, I think that that's a really hard thing for people to say that that's okay. And I'd like what? to add in, I'd like to add in that um, anecdotally, you'll hear that people are using uh, e-cigarettes and vaping to stop smoking when in fact, it's a lot of dual use going on. So people are vaping and smoking combustibles and that none of these uh, companies have, have, have done any type of research to prove that vaping helps people stop smoking. And so if there was an approved product by the FDA, e-cigarettes, that, um, that has proven that, this, that vaping helps people to stop smoking, then that's a different conversation. And I also want to add in that dual cigarettes their nicotine content 
for the U.S. market was twice that for the EU and Israel. So there are different protections that other countries have that we don't seem to be able to get right in the U.S. because of all of the interference that happens with the tobacco industry cartel and the FDA. And if I can just say, we know that these flavors are hooking kids, and that's what we need to stop. We know that prior to the introduction of e-cigarettes, as you mentioned, we saw our um, youth use of tobacco products going down, and then e-cigarettes hit the market, and now we have a problem. And this is a problem across the board, and this is the problem we're trying to fix. Do you know you know, I gotta, I guess gotta just say full stop here to use Gavin Newsom's cliche. A major UK clinical study published in 2019 found that when combined with expert face-to-face support, people who used e-cigarettes to quit smoking were twice as likely to succeed as people who used other nicotine replacement products, products such as patches or gum. The idea that this doesn't work is not true. You guys are operating from the, the standard playbook that cigarettes are bad. Well, go after cigarettes in general. Why go after this specific niche? The fact is that the, you know, the government of the United Kingdom concludes that this is an effective way to stop smoking. Please react to that. I'm happy to react to that um, for, for that particular study. Um, so that particular study um, showed that um, for people who use e-cigarettes and also have three smoking cessation clinics, which we definitely do not have here in the United States, um, you know, had a, a cessation rate of 18% versus about 9% for people using traditional nicotine replacement therapy products. But when we saw what happened with all these individuals, everybody who quit using um, traditional cigarette products in that arm of the study that used uh, vaping products were all still using vaping products. When you look at the people and that 9% of people who uh, quit uh, using tobacco products, they universally all quit all tobacco products. So in terms of what actually happened, it's a much more nuanced story uh, in terms of people using these type of products. And nicotine is not benign. Like I said, you know, it's well known for decades and decades of research work that there are harms that happen from nicotine, particularly for cardiovascular disease. So it's not something that we want people to be using. We would rather have them quit. Um, that being said, I mean, again, the big issue here is what happens to our kids? We all want to help people quit using tobacco products. And we would love to do that here in the United States too. Um, but I think that what's really concerning is what's going to happen to all of our kids who are going to have these flavored tobacco products. Individuals can still use regular tobacco products, but it's the flavored tobacco products that need to be stopped. What do you say to folks who say that this, this really is adult prohibition because California already makes it illegal to sell any tobacco product to anyone who's under 21? Like we already have made that illegal with, 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 with penalties in place for those who, who break that law. My question is kind of related to that. I mean, because it is already illegal, how are kids getting this and how will you stop them from getting it online? So um, we actually have to do um, uh, undercover sales operations uh, for the federal government in all states. Uh, and uh, we just did this in 2022 because we do it yearly uh, in California. And the sales rate to uh, underage youth under the age of 21 is around 27%. That's actually, that's actually higher than what we're supposed to be. It's, it should be about 20% or less. And we've been there before. Um, and the places that actually sell the most uh, to underage individuals are tobacco and vape shops. That's about 40%. Um, if you need the data, we can always get it from the California Tobacco Control Program because they're the group uh, at the California Public, Department of Public Health uh, that makes that data available. And I asked them specifically to see if that's public data. And they said that it's public data if you need to see it. 
I would also add there was a recent survey done in the city of Chula Vista, which I know is in you know your neighborhood, where they surveyed um, a thousand youth, a thousand high school students in the city, forty percent of whom um, said that they get their e-cigarettes at local retailers. So it's a problem. It really is a problem, and we need to address it. Christian, well, yeah, I mean, am I wrong? Jerry, I hear you say that you can still buy these things online. So how are we going well, to put these kids buying them online? Christy, I had legislation two years before, uh, I mean, uh, SB 793, that uh, equalizes the playing field with tobacco and alcohol. So now if you sell or ship tobacco products into California or in California to someone else, you have to have someone 21 years of age. The package has to be clearly marked that someone over 21 has to sign for this. And that's worked very successfully with alcohol sales uh, uh, around the state. Uh, and we, we feel that it's working well with uh, with tobacco products as well. So we changed the law to uh, to prohibit that. And it, and it seems to be successful. Thanks. But I guess I'm still waiting for an answer on my question. Like we already have a law in place. It bans uh, retail Matt, sales to, to 21. Why not enforce the law? Well, we don't, yeah, we, don't mean, ban, we don't ban Zima, right? Right, Matt, that's a good idea. I, I think that, that would be wonderful if that could happen, but it's not successful. We have not been able to enforce that uh, uh, unilaterally around the states that, that makes it work, just like alcohol sales. Kids still drink under 21 and they do it and they get alcohol and they purchase it and they're able to, to do it successfully. That's that's it, it would be great if we could do that, but it's not working. You can't enforce that uh, that I've seen successfully around the state. And we've seen these policies um result in success across the country uh, and in Canada where they've implemented similar um, restrictions on flavored products and we see the youth use of these products going down. And so there there is ample evidence to show that these policies work. Do you know what, how, how many adults use flavored products? Not, not the menthols, which, you know, as Carol has noted, has been in the news. We all understand that that issue. But since the focus is on stopping children from using flavored tobacco products. Do adults prefer those, use those? What, are the, what does the data show on that front? I am pulling up that data now. So if you give me a second, I will give you the number. Um, but feel free to ask other questions while I look through that. Thanks. Do you worry about the rise in black market products, uh, just you know, like vape cartridges and the like um, being sold to, to kids and other vulnerable communities? You know, the black market argument is one that we see the industry use a lot. Um, and what we know is that it's always overblown and the black market that they say is going to come never actually comes. When we've seen these policies implemented in other states and in Canada, the um, end result is that the black market does not um, really flare up in the way that the industry would like us to believe. So I'm just going to um, get back to the question about flavored tobacco use. So this is data from uh, the 2019 California Health Interview Survey. Uh, and so for adults, um, that is around 57%, uh, 57.7%. But if you look at cigarettes, it's really just 31.8% or about 32%. And that's primarily going to be due to menthol. Um, in terms of vaping products, that's around 79%. So I don't want to make sure I understand that. Four to five adults use flavored products? No, I would say about half. Um, so 57.7%, so 58%, so wherever you want to draw the line, somewhere between a half to two thirds. 
And then a again, 2000, a 2020 study showed that at least 60% of the cigarettes sold in New York City are untaxed because they are illegally trafficked. The idea that this is a uh, exaggerated problem is not borne out by what people say in New York City. So it the great thing in others. Yeah, in California, we actually have state of the art stamps uh, for tax stamp sales, and so I think that uh, in terms of what you know, uh, you know, we've done here in California to try to minimize um, those issues in terms of um, illicit sales happening, you know, I think that we're better than New York City. But the idea that this is not a real problem is not true. It is a real problem. I, I think that I, I said, go ahead. Please go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I think there, there does result some level of black market. It is not to the extent that we are led to believe. And I believe if we looked back at what was being told to folks prior to the New York policy going into effect and what actually resulted, we would see that what they claimed and what resulted were not in alignment. And but then, the fact is, is that experts say that states that are next to states that have less tobacco taxes are particularly subject to this. California has much higher tobacco taxes than Nevada or Arizona. So uh, the blanket dismissal of this as a problem, I don't get. I also think it's a little more difficult to get from California, from San Francisco to Nevada than it is to go from uh, uh, some of the East Coast states where you're five miles or 20 miles away, you can get across the border into another state. That's why a national policy is certainly what we're looking for. But California, I think it's an over, overblown uh, concern. But actually, that's not true. In New York, the main source of illegal tobacco is Virginia and Georgia. So they're not five miles away. They're 400 miles away. So the other thing that I would also just add is that um, in terms of illicit sales, we also know that the tobacco industry has been complicit in terms of also uh, making sure that these things happen. They're actually with the National Academy of Medicine uh, report you know, several years back, uh, I want to say maybe about five or six years ago, that actually looks specifically at this issue. And there's been documentation, mostly in other countries, but we know that you know, this is an industry that wants to sell to people. They need to addict other customers. And that's the reason why they want to go after kids. Uh, and I think that that's the thing that we need to protect here in California. And that we know that the industry cannot exist if they do not recruit new clients because their customers die or become disabled. So that's the nature of the beast is that they must continually recruit new smokers to replace the smokers that are dying and that are ill. Um, and I also wanna say that, you know, not all neighborhoods are created equal. And so some of uh, the neighborhood where I grew up I, and I bust myself out of it as I rode past all of the stores. So part of the vector of these products is the, is the retailer, the neighborhood store. So getting these products off of, out of the neighborhoods, out of the communities does, ha will have an impact on the uptake of youth smoking. Oh, I, estimates I saw said that uh, uh, this ban, uh, enacting this ban would, would reduce the state's revenue by about a billion dollars over the next several years. Given what you said, Michael, that half of adults smoke flavored products, does that make sense to take that revenue away when when uh, when it's a legal uh, a practice used? Well, by when somebody? you're trading human beings, human lives for that, is that worth it? And on the other side of that is that we, the taxpayers, pick up the healthcare costs for all of the for even insured smokers. It it affects all of us. The healthcare costs that we're paying on the other end of of receiving some tax revenue, and so a lot. I'm I'm not. 
working at this moment because I'm actively lobbying for this, but we are trying to put ourselves out of work because uh, it's we don't want to keep killing our people, our citizens, in order to receive tax revenue from these deadly and addictive products. So just to follow up on that, I actually work very closely with the Department of Finance for Revenue Projections from Proposition 56 and Proposition 99, since I uh, chair the oversight committee for that. Um, in terms of what we expect the revenue reduction to be, we expect it somewhere to be between 5 to 10% um, in terms of what we see from Proposition 56 and Proposition 99. You know, those estimates are difficult um, because we've seen a lot of changes uh, in terms of what has happened with tobacco control policies over the last five uh, years or so uh, since Proposition 56 went into effect. But in terms of uh, the what we use those revenues for, particularly for Proposition 56, because that's really the largest revenue source right now, that generates a, a little bit more than a billion dollars annually. Most of that goes to Medi-Cal, and most of that goes to Medi-Cal because of tobacco-related diseases. And so if we're able to stop people from uh, you know, uh, getting hooked onto tobacco products or to continue smoking menthol cigarettes, I mean, this is what we're going to be saving down the line in terms of those costs that we're right now trying to subsidize uh, with this tax. Any of my teammates have other questions for folks on the call? Seeing none, um, I, I appreciate all your time. Um, is there any ground that we didn't cover or points that you wanna raise um, while you're here? Um, you know, I think the one thing that I would just add is that, um, you know, I, I did talk a lot about, uh, you know, what happens to our youth, but I think that it's also equally important to remember that you know, um, these type of flavored products are actually targeted towards specific populations, particularly African-Americans and LGBTQ uh, individuals. And so I think that, again, these are populations that we know experience, you know, significantly higher tobacco-related diseases. And so, again, getting these individuals to stop using these products would be great. Uh, and so, you know, we know that menthol is something that particularly makes it a lot easier to tolerate uh, and to use more uh, of the tobacco product. And so uh, these are individuals that have a really difficult time quitting. It's not that they don't want to quit. You know, there's work that I've done uh, that's been published that you know have looked at uh, individuals that are using menthol products, and for the most part, they all want to quit, and sometimes even more than other types of users. But they're not able to successfully quit, and that's where we really want all people to be. We want people to be healthy. I do think it's important to remember that um, you know non-candy flavored uh, e-cigarettes and cigarettes will remain on the market um, for adults who wish to choose to use those products. Um, <clears throat> this really is going after the candy flavors that are explicitly and, and deliberately targeted at kids. Why not just go after all tobacco? Good idea, Matt. I like that. I mean, seriously, uh, though, why not? No, I, I, mean, it, I, I think, you know, politically, that would be a, a challenge. And, uh, um, as as we've seen, and uh, politics is the art of compromise. I don't know if there's much compromise there that could work, at least in the legislature at this point in time over that. And uh, I mean, I think I certainly would support that. Um, I was the mayor of the city of San Mateo in 1994, and we prohibited this, the first city in the state to prohibit the sale of uh, or smoking of tobacco uh, of cigarettes in restaurants and bars in the workplace. It was the first one, and, and uh, there was a lot of pressure for that. It, it's, and I'm not saying that this is the first step by banning flavored tobacco products, but uh, um, I, I think, to, in a sense, uh, you know, you almost could say that. Getting back to Chris's arguments, that they, you know, people have, you know, smoking. It's it's a legal product today, and uh, 
Uh, and uh, it's the marketing, it's the targeting of the uh, African-American community over decades that tobacco industry has done. And then the targeting is, as Juul and other e-cigarette manufacturers have done, their ability to, to, to target youth with that. And I, I don't know if you've experienced, I mean, when I was 13, my mother smoked. I took that Marlboro cigarette, hid in the back of the house and, and outside and, and took that, that puff. That was it. I ne that was the worst tasting thing in the world to me. Never, never picked it up again. But had that had menthol, something that soothes my soothes my my throat, or was sweet and minty, uh, you know, I may have started after that. And I think that's what we really want to prevent: is that uh, from happening to our youth. And as we saw with e-cigarettes in that one year, uh, the seventy-eight percent increase in high school and forty-eight percent in middle school. One in one in five high school students were smoking and using tobacco products then. I mean, that's that's unbelievable and outrageous, and we have to prevent that. And and there are cities, uh, Beverly Hills is, has, is prohibiting the sale of all, all tobacco, I think, except for high-end cigars. Um, but, you know, we've seen um, just in these last couple of weeks, as Jewel begins to settle the lawsuits from our attorney generals across this country, um, and so that's a testament to their marketing to children because they're settling. I believe the last one was for $450 million, which, which sounds like a lot, but it's not for all the states that were um, combined. California, Massachusetts, I think in New York are still have not as yet settled with Juul. And so all of the e-cigarette companies benefited from Juul's marketing and targeting our children right under our noses. And I think if I could just add, and Dr. Ong would probably be better at this, but we, we, we may have solved the, the jewel problem in going forward. But as we know, the different uh, uh, techniques and tools that uh, the tobacco industry is developing to administer this drug uh, is unending. And the millions of flavors that they can come up with to try and attract youth, I think, is, uh, is the challenge. So it's, you know, we may be working on the jewel problem or the e-cigarette problem. But that's not the end of the problem, and that's not the end of the tobacco industry's effort that we've seen successfully to, uh, uh, and oh, I would say easily, uh, exactly. attract uh, the products to youth. Exactly, and we're playing whack-a-mole with these companies, and so this passing Prop 31 will, 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 will help us to stop, get out of the whack-a-mole business in terms of saving, uh, protecting our children in this, in this state. And to the point that Jonathan made, so this ban passes, these companies would be able to sell flavorless tobacco or, or what, what, what shades of flavor would be allowed? Zero, and it's just something, you know, fumes yeah. without Jewel, flavor? Jewel has like tobacco flavored um, uh, pods, uh, you know, it's regular, you know, marble reds, silvers, you know, all, the, all those, as long as there isn't a, a flavoring component, um, the traditional tobacco flavor uh, is allowed to be sold. And, you know, I think responding to this um, public, the public health crisis of, you know, tobacco related diseases, a marathon and not a sprint. Um, and in California, I think you've seen, you know, over the years, uh, the legislature and other local governments responding um, to data. And the data shows that um, kids, young kids are getting hooked on and getting their hands on these products be, and they're drawn to them because of the flavors, because of the candy like flavors. Um, and so that's why this, this legislation goes, uh, goes after that issue um, specifically.
You can find more information online at San Diego Union Tribune.com slash 2022 election guide. There you'll find Q&As with candidates, pros and cons from both sides of each proposition, videos of the editorial board's interviews, and more. Thanks for listening.